Hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, starting with chapter 4, verse 8. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from these laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now, so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you're doing well today. Hope you had a great weekend, even though it was a million and a half degrees outside this past weekend. Guys, it was so hot that even artificial flowers were dying at my house. It was so hot that the rapper and actor known as Ice Cube has now changed his name to Puddle. Yeah, I know my wife is enjoying these. It's so hot that the cows are producing evaporated milk. It's so hot that all my kids' crayons are now watercolors. No? no? So where's Chelsea at? Chelsea was just here. She helped me come up with those and blame Chelsea. So <laughs> I'm glad you guys are here to worship with us today. Um, we're continuing in our series in the book of Galatians. And this is Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia, where we discovered in our reading today, he went there when he had a sickness or an injury of some sort, and the people treated him so very well. They treated him as a spiritual leader. They started this church and were taught so well by Paul, and it got me thinking about spiritual leaders, uh, spiritual mentors in my own life. Two names in particular jump out to me. If you know my story, there's a man named Leighton Lane Lockett from Lubbock, Texas. He was a youth minister I had when I was a junior in high school. He shared the gospel with me and taught me so much. And then a man named Nevin Zimmerman, who taught me what it meant to study the word, to know good theology, who played a significant role in my life, actually introduced 
eventually led to the introduction of me to my wife. So as I started thinking about spiritual mentors who really made a significant impact in my life, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to name some of yours. I'm sure there's people in your life, people who were mentors, spiritual teachers who helped shape you. And I just honestly, I want to honor that. I want to honor them. I want you to acknowledge and honor them. Thank God for the people that he intentionally placed in your life, for people who maybe sacrificially lived in your life, people who listened to God's word and taught you God's word and helped shape your life. So here's all you guys to do. If you guys feel comfortable with it, just say say name out loud. Just be like, I thank God for, and say name. Go for it. Yeah. That's okay, you can name more, you guys can keep going if you want to. Guys, I want you to hear this, I, 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 I'm doing this because I, I think it's cool, I think it's great to sometimes honor those names and thank God for the way he moved in those lives to shape you. Real people with real flaws, with real issues, but who maybe invested time into you. You know, I remember I was a, a stuck-up high school kid who thought I knew the answers to everything, who thought I was too cool for school, and Leighton Lockett and Nevin Zimmerman decided to spend some time with me. I thought I, 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 thought I was smarter than they were, and they are like, I mean, could you imagine a little 15, 16-year-old kid thinking they're smarter than all the adults, but they took their time, and they mentored me, and they taught me. Now, I say that because, one, I want to honor them. I want to thank God for them, but two, I also want you guys to know that you guys have an opportunity to make impact on people's lives and you don't even know it, right? How little things that you do, little words, little time that you spend doing the small things with other people can affect them in ways that you can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. Layton Lockett would never have known that him spending time with this young kid that he would have his name mentioned at every Explore Waypoint from here on out. (laughs) And everybody knows him as Layton Lockett from Lubbock, Texas. But it's incredible to see how God uses his faithful people to radically change lives. So I just wanted to start off by just saying that. I think it's just so important, it's important to see. But now let's think about it this way. Imagine that person that you might have been thinking about, spiritual teacher, spiritual mentor, somebody who's helped shape you. Now imagine that person wants to talk to you, he's writing you a letter, wants to talk to you, and the usual conversations, the usual emails or phone calls from this person might, is typically more like, hey bud, what's going on? Everything's good, family good? Yeah, we're good. But this time it's different. This time this person wants to sit you down. Wants to be like, listen, I got something serious I need to say to you. Like, oh, serious, what is it? I really need you to pay attention to this. I need you, the tone is different. This person comes up to you and says, Billy, which is my name for everybody, says, Billy, I just, I need to talk to you about something. And so you're going to be like, oh, man, okay. What is it? What do you want to talk about? You really seem serious about this. You're like, okay, what is it? Would you listen? I would. I know if Leighton or Nevin said, Lawrence, I just seriously need to talk to you about something. I would sit and listen because these people meant so much to me. And this is what we have here in the book of Galatians. You have Paul, the spiritual mentor, the teacher, the guy who helped start this church. He's pleading with his people to convey a message that's so important to him. He's putting all his energy, his passion. He's, he's talking about their past relationship. He's saying, you guys remember how it was when you first received me? He's comparing what he's feeling to childbirth. And I know every woman who heard that passage was like, you got to stop doing that, Paul. I'm serious about that. I mean, even when I hear it read, I'm like, Paul, that's a mistake, man. Don't compare that to childbirth. But 
He didn't have women in his life. He wasn't married. He didn't, he didn't know he couldn't say that. <laughs> it's true, I'm just saying. But he's so passionate to get this message that he's comparing what he's feeling to like childbirth. He's saying, guys, I'm going through labor pains for you. He cared so much about these people. He's saying, I'm going through labor pains to see something develop in you. And what is that message? And guys, we've been in the book of Galatians for a few weeks now. It's the same message in Galatians over and over and over again. It's don't add to the gospel. Believe in what the gospel is and the true gospel. And don't add any more to it. Guys, over and over again, what's this, this message that there is a good God who keeps his promises, who, who brought the law in place so that we can be, it can be our caregiver, and that one day, through the work of Jesus Christ, the promised one, his life, his death, his resurrection, that we can know intimacy, have relationship with God, that we can be known, we can be loved, and we can have purpose. And it's all through the work of Jesus. It's nothing that we did to earn it or to deserve it. It's his free gift of love given to you. And he's saying, just know the gospel. Don't add more to it. Don't say, oh, well, it's because God loves me, but then it's also because I dress a certain way and I make a certain amount of money. Or it's because I'm better than that person. That person gives 10 bucks, I give 20 bucks. I'm good. He's saying, no, know the gospel. It's all about the work of Jesus. It's about what he accomplished on the cross and with his life and about the power of his resurrection. It's all about the promises of a covenant promise-keeping God. Know this and don't add more to it. Know and follow hard after Jesus. Paul is saying here in verse eight, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who are by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? In other words, you know the gospel. Last week we talked about you're able to cry out, Abba, Father. Stay firm in the gospel that you've been taught. And remember, it's not the beginning point. The gospel is not like, oh, it's like the diving board in which you go live the rest of your life through. It's not the launching pad. It's literally, it's all important. It's the truth about God. Stay true to the real gospel. Don't deviate from it. So the idea is to stay firm in the gospel, know, and follow hard after Jesus. This is a passionate plea that Paul has given to the people. Now, Paul points out here then three different elements that take them away from the gospel. Three different elements that take them away from the truth of the gospel. Number one, he points to idols. Number two, he points to culture and tradition. And number three, he points to false teachers. One, he points to idols. So I want to take a dive into what these things mean and, and how it leads us astray. In Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller makes this incredible, kind of astounding discovery, if you will. This understanding on the Ten Commandments and idolatry. And one of the statements that he makes in this book is that he believes that the whole Bible is stating, or really, the whole Bible is all about, and the Ten Commandments are all about, like the breaking of the commandments three through ten happens because you break commandments one and two. The reason for anything you ever do wrong, the reason for the problems you have, and the reason for the flaws and brokenness in your life, Tim Keller would state, is always idolatry. The principle that he's stating here is that the only alternative worship and the, to worshiping a true God in purity is idolatry. And the only reason we failed all these other commandments is because we're committing idolatry. That's the statement he's throwing out there, is that idolatry is what leads us to failure in the rest of the commandments. And so he believes that this is what's being stated here in the book of Galatians. So the problem is, the reason we fail to understand the gospel is sometimes we go back to idolatry. 
How is that stated here in the book of Galatians, you might be asking. Like, I hear you, but how is that stated here? Well, this idea that Paul's talking about, about going back to worshiping gods, worshiping forces, counterfeit gods that are not gods at all. And mind you, when I say this, this is like lowercase g, in case you were wondering. In the Bible, you'll see a lowercase g, we refer to like deities, principles, gods, forces, and an uppercase g refers to God Almighty. With me so far? So what does that mean? So back in the ancient day, back in the ancient Near East, you got to understand the mindset of the region of Galatia. And this mindset was this idea of kind of based out of just recently coming out of Greek mythology into the idea of philosophy. So philosophers were being prominent. These, these different philosophies were being spread. There were people arguing over different philosophies over there while coming out of Greek mythology. So this idea, this pagan idea that gods were behind all forces or things in the universe. So there was a god for drinking, Bacchus or a god of love, Aphrodite, or a god of fortune, or good luck, or money, or whatever it may be. But there was this idea of there was a god or a force about everything that existed and the way they knew the world. So in order to get the idea of, of pleasure, or money, or wealth, or, or whatever it may be that this god can provide, they worship this deity. I don't want you to miss this. You may be sitting here thinking, well, that's paganism, so I can't honestly relate to that. I'm not really worshiping gods of these things. I don't worship a flute-playing, half-goat-looking God. Yes, you may not worship Bacchus, but some of you may worship drink. So what I'm saying is you might not worship the God of wealth, Pluto, but you actually might worship what he represents, which is money. See, the purpose that I'm saying is that their ancient Near Eastern people, with all their paganism, honestly, guys, is not so different from us. Back in the day, people might be worshiping the God of money because they wanted money, they craved money, they desired money. So in the way they personalized, they humanized it, they made the idea of money or the force or desire of wanting money, they put a God behind it. But what do we do? We just say we want money, the greed, consumerism becomes our God. What Paul is talking about is our hearts are idol factories, constantly making idols, constantly making something that we want or desire more than God. Now for us, in our day and age, we're not making, we're not giving names to gods, we're not calling them God, but we're placing them in our hearts in a place that only belongs to the uppercase God. We make altars all the time to the gods that we worship, and our hearts are little idol factories. And Paul is stating that this idea is foundational to the gospel. We were enslaved to idol worship, but the gospel frees us from the idols that we place. This is why the Bible has idol worship in the first two commandments. It's so important. This is foundational to the gospel. This is foundational to who you are because it's about relationship. It's about knowledge. It's about belonging. Our hearts long for idols, for riches, for wealth, for purpose, for love, for comfort, for so much more than anything in this world can provide. So we look for answers in the world around us, and these answers the world provides are little G gods. They aren't enough. They don't satisfy us. So we become enslaved to our needs and these little G gods. And what's so incredible about the gospel is that it acknowledges the problem. It says that you were made for a relationship with your creator and nothing else satisfies. I love C.S. Lewis says, if nothing on the earth satisfies you, it stands to reason then that you were not made for this world. Your God then made a way for justice and mercy to live together in unity. He called you to be a child of his. God deserves and fully fits on the altar of your heart. You're made, your altar was made for God. It was made for him, and anything else we place there is an idol. An idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that God is reserved for, alone. 
It's anything that seems essential, anything in which I live for, depend upon, anything that takes away my worship from God. Guys, I want you to understand this. Most of the time, the idols in our lives are not often bad things to begin with. Idols are often not terrible things or sins ordinarily. Idols are often good things that are made the best. Stuff like money and rain and land, stuff like security and esteem. These are not necessarily bad things, but they're bad when they become essential things, the most important things. That's when it becomes an idol. That's the reason. The root of our personality is when something good becomes the best, it becomes an idol, and therefore it becomes wrong. It becomes the focus of our personality, our dreams, our thoughts, our ambitions. It enslaves us. So you get the idea here so far. Why does Paul talk all over Galatians about freedom? Because the opposite of freedom is being enslaved. So the idols that we create enslave us because we owe allegiance and honor to them. There's a Greek word that's used over and over again in the Bible, and it's a hard word to translate. The average Christian that has read the Bible kind of might have missed this a, few, a, couple, a couple times, and that word is the word epithumia. And it's this idea of over-desire. It comes up in Galatians and Ephesians, it comes up in Peter and John, most every letter. The problem is the word means an over-desire. It's a little hard to translate. Um, old translations might translate it as lust, but right away when you hear the word lust, you automatically think of sexual things, right? It doesn't necessarily mean sexual things. It means an over-desire. And that's what idols create in us. That's what makes an idol an idol. Do you get what I'm saying? What an idol is, is when we over-desire something in a way that is not good for us, an over-desire for something that is not made for us, an over-desire, let me just give you an example of this, is safety for your children, right? Guys, let me keep, I believe being safe and being safety conscious is a great thing. I make sure my kids wear their seatbelts. I put their sunscreen on. I make sure they look both ways. They grab my hand when we walk together. We, I'm a firm believer. I might not be as extreme as my wife. I'm just being honest. But I believe in kids' safety. It's, it's, it's something that's a priority that is important to me. My children's safety is a top priority for me. I want them to be as safe as possible. But it becomes an idol when it's the most important thing in the world. It becomes an idol when it's more important than God. And it becomes an idol when I try to, try to take the place of God in ensuring that it happens. Does that make sense? When I can't trust that God can protect my child, and I have to wrap them up in bubble wrap, I have to lock them up in their room, and I have to cushion every corner of every room, and I have to make sure I'm standing outside with a machine gun ready to harm anybody that comes into this room, and they're never able to leave. That's when it becomes an idol, in case you need to go that far. I don't think anybody goes that far. I'm just saying. See, what happens is my love for my children, my love for their safety, trumps the call that God has placed upon me to be a light in this world and to be a fruitful member of the kingdom advancing in this world. Do you guys hear that? That's a sensitive topic. I'm just going to be honest with you guys because we believe as a parent, our number one priority, our number one thing most important than anything else is to keep our kids safe. I don't think that's true. I believe our number one priority as a parent is still to love God and to pursue his purposes in our lives. And then number two is to train your child into knowing and loving God and pursuing his purposes in their lives, not just keeping them safe. Does that make sense? It becomes an idol when you're overzealous for the wrong thing, even though it's a good thing. Guys, I want you to understand that the reason that you're enslaved as idols is because you're making over-desire for them. That's what enslaves you, that gives you a need, a craving, almost an addiction for whatever it may be. Isn't that what alcohol addiction or any other addiction is? 
is an over-desire that trumps everything else, right? What are the idols in your life right now? Have you guys ever thought about that? You're like, well, I don't worship statues, Lawrence. Oh, good, I'm glad you don't worship statues. And Lawrence, I don't have like an altar to weird things. Oh, good, I'm glad you don't have an altar to weird things. But the question is still the same. What are you overzealous for? That takes God out of the place, rightful place in your heart. Are you overzealous? What are you overzealous for? Are you overzealous for comfort and security? Because you didn't have that growing up as a child and every moment was fraught with uncertainty. And so right now you're saying, no matter what, I gotta have all the money, I gotta have all my I's dotted and T's crossed, I gotta have everything controlled, 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 because this world is chaos. And so you're overzealous for control and for you to be in control and you to be God, so God cannot be there. Are you overzealous for that? Are you overzealous for the material things, the good things in life, because you didn't have it growing up? Or maybe you had it growing up and you wanted more of it. What are you overzealous for? What are the idols in your life? Guys, can we just be real? And can you honestly just ask yourself that today? Because Not because I want to uh, guilt trip you, but because I want, to know, I want you to know the freedom that comes when you get rid of these idols that Paul's talking about. The freedom that comes when you truly know the gospel. So what are the idols in your life? What are the things that you're overzealous for? The second element that Paul teaches and says that could take us away from the true gospel is this idea of turning back to observing special days, months, seasons, and years. You're like, what? How is that bad? How, how could that turn us away from the gospel? I don't understand. Now, here's what happens here. The Galatians were being taught by Judaizers that in order to be a good Christian, in order to be a Christian, in other words, in other words to kind of go forward with this thing called the Christian life, it wasn't enough to just believe in Jesus. But you had to become Jewish in all your culture and ways and practices. So you had to get circumcised. You had to follow the Jewish calendar for feasts and all the extracurriculars that existed. So here's the here these Gentiles. They become Christians and say, yay, Jesus. Jesus is amazing. He changed my life. Now people are coming around. They're saying, that's, not, that's great, but that's not enough. It's a good start. But here's what you really need to do. Get circumcised. Follow what we follow. Be like us. Culturally do what we do. That's what you're basically saying. You need to be basically become Jewish. And what Paul is saying here is that this is the second way that can keep you from the gospel. Is that letting the culture of the people or the culture in your area or the culture in your region or the culture of the people you're around shape what you know and how you believe in God. Most of the believers at that time were mainly former Jews who became Christians. And that was a prevalent culture of those times. So when these Gentile Galatians were becoming Christians, but most of the churches were already Jewish people who became Christians. So the culture dictated, they heard these people saying, this is what you're supposed to live culturally, and this is what it means to be a Christian. And they thought, oh, I guess I'm supposed to do that too. And people, Paul's calling people not to give in to what's being taught in culture, but to stay firm to truth and what the gospel has taught them. Well, people, let me be clear on this. I want you to hear this. This is so necessary for us to hear for our day. Guys, our culture is ever-changing. Based on where you live, the region you live, the country you live in, the people you're around, it's ever-changing. But the truths of God will never change. And what we need to do is be people of the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, not be swayed by the winds of culture. Now, it does not mean culture should not shape or affect how we should live. 
culture is a way of defining who we are as a system, a set group of people. I'm not saying that you need to be, oh, I hate the culture of the world, so I need to go live on an island and be by myself with just Christians who think like me. No. What I'm saying is that there are truths that are foundational truths that, lead, that are kingdom culture. Truths that are foundational throughout all time, throughout all cultures, that we need to stand true to. But, they're not, but there's also culture that is just culture for our age and day. And we cannot mix those two up. Does that make sense? You guys with me so far? What we need, is, what we need to move us is the spirit of God, the word of God, the truths of God. But here's the problem. Some people often mix their culture with kingdom culture. What I mean by that is oftentimes you think the way you experience or the way you worship God or the way you understand God in your cultural context is the way that every Christian should across the world. And that is not true. If we're not for every person, there's some things that are just truly kingdom culture and some things that are just culture culture. And we need to find the balance. Pastor Danny, a few weeks back, shared a diagram of this idea. Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember the diagram with the circles and kingdom culture and culture? And this idea is something that, honestly, missionaries have failed a lot of in the past. And guys, this is not me condemning missionaries. I love missionaries. Right? But a lot of the past missionaries have failed in distinguishing Western culture between kingdom values and kingdom culture. But what I'm trying to explain is to start to say that there's an understanding of God through their own culture, and that's an important thing, but the most important thing for us to do is understand God first through understanding that we're understanding him through our own cultural lens and understand what is cultural and what is kingdom. So let me give you a simple example of this so that, it's, so that you can understand this, okay? You guys with me so far? This could be confusing. I understand that. But I remember when I was in Africa and we were worshiping and people were singing and dancing. I was loving. I was like dancing away, worshiping, right? But some of the women were dancing with a lot more hip movement, right? You know, talk about hip movement? I'm not very good at hip movement. But that's, there, Jesus had to stop doing that, so I won't do it anymore. There was more hip movement in the worship and I was, I was all for it. I was worshiping. But there are some people who look at any type of hip movement and think that is evil and sinful, while some people were expressing worship in this way. Does that make sense? You guys with me so far? Which one is cultural? Is that a cultural value or a kingdom value? Cultural. That's right. Nowhere in the Bible does it not say that you cannot worship God through the moving of your body. It does not say that. But we place that often upon cultures. Now that's a silly example because I just wanted to show you guys my hip movement. But Gina does not like that. Guys, here's what I mean to say this. Culture should not dictate our truth as kingdom people. But at the same time, we should be careful to make sure we don't point out something that is not kingdom truth, but it's just cultural truth. Right? Are you guys with me so far? We do not let this day and age dictate, our culture dictate what we truly believe about gender, about sexuality. We do not let the culture tell We find out what does the Bible call us to believe and to say. But we're also careful to know that we want to make sure that we do not let what we are something that is cultural be mistaken for what is kingdom. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay. Finally, Paul points to false teachers coming out amongst them. Those who are zealous to win you over, but in verse, it says in verse 17, well, they want to alienate you from us so that you may zeal for them, Paul says. 
Supposedly there's false teachers coming out, false teachers, people who are teaching wrong teaching, maybe with good motives, maybe with bad. That's not what the point. The point is, in this passage, Paul saying they're zealous for you because they want you to be zealous for them. They want a following. They want a group. So these false teachers are coming and pursuing them. Regardless of the situation, these people are coming around teaching the wrong things. And they're saying, you want to really live for God, well, then you got to do this. you got to add this. you got to follow this. you got to do it this way. You need to go to these ceremonial calendars. You need to follow these feasts. You need to do these practices. And Paul's saying, that is false teaching. That's not what you need. That's not the gospel. They don't get it. And so Paul's warning you, and not just here, multiple times in the Bible, it says, watch out for false teachers. My people, don't miss this. I want you to watch out for false teachers. But I can't tell you this. Sometimes... False teachers might not even know they're being false teachers. It's easy to think, like, I'm going to watch out for false teachers. So they're like, oh, heresy. But can I tell you something? There's a chance that there's me, me preaching on a Sunday morning that I could teach something false to you. Guys, I take very seriously the honor and the privilege of preaching the word to you. I pray about it. I study it. And I take very seriously this. But can I tell you this, and I always say it over and over again, can I tell you this, that if I preach something wrong, that is incorrect, that is contrary to scripture, God's going to have a talk with me. But you guys better check it. Everything I say, you guys need to check it against the word of God. Don't just accept it because I said it. I'm a flawed, sinful human being. I make mistakes all the time. Once again, my wife will attest to this. I do. I make mistakes all the time. I forget little mistakes. I, even I, Danny pointed out to me that I had a little typo on a, um, one of my on the sermon that notes I gave Danny, and it changed the whole flow. That changed the whole meaning. It was just a typo, but changed the whole meaning of the word. I make mistakes all the time. Make sure I'm teaching the word. That's on you guys. Make sure that it's the word that's being taught. So if I ever preach heresy her, on a Sunday morning, if I'm preaching heresy, you guys need to stand up and be like, Lord, that's just wrong." That's just heresy. Now, if it's like, you know, kind of wrong or you're not, you're not sure about or you want to discuss, call me up later or we can just have an email. Don't stand up in the middle of service. But, <laughs> but if it's like really bad, then you need to stand up. But I expect other people to do it first. But call me. Call me out. Give me a phone call. Set up a meeting. Shoot me an email. Tell me that I'm teaching wrong and let's talk about this together. I'm nowhere near perfect, guys. Don't just take what I say. Not just me. I'm not talking about me, but with the other leader that you follow or the other authors that you read or whatever it may be, make sure they're teaching truth. Don't just accept everything they say. Yes, with me, even the good ones. Don't just accept everything they say. Check it against the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit and the word of God be your guides. Not Billy, because Billy is awesome. I use that name Billy, but whoever Billy is for you. But I want to say one more thing about this. Um, who are your teachers? Think about this again real quick, okay? Who are the ones that you're letting shape you and teach you? Have you are you being discerning about that? Can I tell you right now? I'm just going to be real. This might hurt. I'm going to be real. I think most of you are letting social media teach you, teach you more than the word of God. I'm just saying, I think you spend more time on Twitter learning from Twitter people than you do from the Word of God. I'm just saying. Good job, Stanley. <laughs> but do you hear me? Don't get me wrong, because I'm not hating on Twitter. I'm not hating on Facebook. I'm not hating on any of that stuff. I watch Facebook. I'm on YouTube 
I'm with, I'm, I'm, I do all that stuff. But guys, can I tell you, often, just think about that question. Who are you letting teach you? Have you thought about that? What are you absorbing in all the time? Media, news outlets, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, whatever it may be. Who are you letting pour into you all the time? Are you not asking that question? Because if you're not, you should be. You really should be. And it's not, once again, guys, hear me very well. I'm not trying to condemn you for the hours you spend on TikTok or Facebook, or whatever it may be. How you spend your time relaxing or whatever, that is up to you. But just make sure you know who's teaching you. Make sure that it's not false teachers. You with me? Does that make sense? Please hear me. That's just a word of warning for myself, too. There are too many times when I read something. I don't know why I do this to myself, but sometimes I read stuff like I know I just blatantly disagree with just to get angrier. Do you ever do that? You're like, I'm going to read this guy. Everything he says, I get angry about, but I'm still going to read him. Why do I do that to myself? I don't know. Watch out who teaches you. Cool? My people, Paul's cry to his people was to stand firm on the truth of the gospel. Guys, will you stand firm on the truth of the gospel? Let that overwhelm you. Let that consume who you are. That for some strange reason, God in his beautiful plan and his incredible timing decided that I made a plan to know you, to love you, to have justice and mercy coincide together to redeem you and to call you to purpose. The God of the universe can show that said that my only, there's only one thing that satisfies the heart that I made, I made in you, and it's me. How beautiful is that? Let the gospel be what you cling to and what you run to, and let nothing else be added to it. Idols do not satisfy you. The little G's don't work for you. As C.S. Lewis would say, it's like we're kids playing around with mud pies, you know, when the ocean is offered before you. Don't be satisfied. Don't be so easily pleased with these little G-gods. Don't be enslaved to them. But be set free, knowing that you're known and you're loved and you have purpose. Jesus Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the gospel news. Jesus is the one who did everything necessary for you to be known and loved and have others cling to him, go to him. He is worthy. In the book of Matthew, it says, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else. Everything else will come along. It's this idea that your heart is made for something so good. There's a zealousness. There's a longing. There's a yearning. There's, we are idol factories. We make idols all the time because our heart is, is, there's a spot on our altar of our soul and of our lives that is made for God. So we fill it up with everything else. We make mud pies. We build idols. We do all this other stuff. But only God satisfies. But when you see your satisfaction in them, when you seek the kingdom of God first, you're free. Free from all these other consuming idols. That demands your time, your intention, and your heart, and your loyalty. The idol of security can be found answered in God because he controls your future. You trust in him. He knows all that's going to happen. The idol of, of wealth and 
prosperity and all this stuff knows that, you know, all is good because my king is the king of the universe. He owns a thousand chariots and he owns all the cattle on the hill. He makes the birds have a home and he dresses the flowers better than any, any royalty in the world. Your needs, your desires, your soul longing is meant in him. So make sure, my people, to not make command, the idols, to not seek after idols, to, to, to make sure you don't listen to false teachers, to not let culture dictate what you believe, but believe in the true gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we cling to the good news that you've given us, the good news of a God, a creator who created us intentionally for him. I've made a God-shaped hole in all of us. There's an altar that can only be, that can only places him on it. So God, help us to, to cast away the idols in our lives. Help us to, to know Jesus fully where justice and mercy meets. Help us to be people who can cry out, Abba, Father. So God, will you move us as we come to you, as we cling to the gospel. Let us cast away the idols, God, the, the teachings of culture and false teachers, and cling to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.